Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. This is the word of the Lord from Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness, without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome once again to the Ab. If you're new here, I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, if I haven't met you yet, I look forward to doing that. Is Gil here? Oh, no, Gil ain't here. Um, Who's in the membership cycle? Who who is um, going through those classes? Are we having lunch today? No, not, yes, no. Somebody help me out. Yeah, we are having lunch. It is, yes, it's lunch. Somebody help Pastor Tim out, please. Um, but I just wanted to, before I, um, before I made the snafu, um, we are, um, we usually break that up into two kind of in-person sessions and then follow that up with a, um, a time where we can kind of meet individually one-on-one with you, kind of get to know your story and uh, just make sure we are talking the same language. Um, if you are like, oh man, I missed that, but I want to hop in on that. Um, please hop in. Um, and uh, so immediately following worship, uh, if you want to get to know a little bit more about the app, um, uh, we will be going through our membership and our kind of doctrine uh, class and love to spend that time with you, feed you. And, um, you know, there's no expectation that if you are uh, in one of those classes that you have to join. Um, but at some point, if you want to join, you got to go through them classes. So how about that? Um, if you're also here, then you'll see these beautiful little bulletins that I've designed. I'm just a really multi-talented. That's why I didn't realize it was membership breakfast or lunch today because I was busy designing these beautiful and everybody chuckles because they know what's up. Um, but you see here we're in a series um, walk, working through the book of Micah. We preached the first two chapters um, last week and um, really there's only one thing I was trying to make sure I get across that you would just understand fully and completely nobody cares more about injustice than the Lord God of the Bible. Um, You see what the petty king does 
uh, to his enemies and those who transgress. And I want you to wrestle with the truth of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, that God is a God who delights in showing mercy. Like you have never seen mercy and patience like what our God exhibits, but he's also the God who can hold some grudges and who will figure out how to repay those, right? Because to be just is to both reward those who adhere to the law, but it's also to punish those who transgress, which is why the hallmark of Christianity, our calling card, what we celebrate is the cross where the justice of God meets the mercy of God, which is the strangest thing that, hey, because I'm just, something must be done with the people's sin. Someone has to pay. But because I'm a God who has uncanny, unusual mercy, I will send my son to die on their behalf. Now, you tell me what Buddha can offer you. You tell me what uh, Muhammad could offer you, and I'll one-up him. You ain't never seen a God who has a standard and dies for the ones who can't meet the standard. That's Christianity. But, everybody say but. The one thing we have to understand about Christianity is this. That the same thing that happened with Judah and Samaria is the same thing that will happen at the end of the age. At some point, the time for repentance will be over. Just jamming up here. Let me say that clearly and quickly. Remember, when he issues and levies out these judgments and the consequences in chapters 1 and 2 for Judah and Samaria's unfaithfulness, this is after years of patience centuries of patience, and when he comes to them, it wasn't, hey, if y'all turn it around, then I'm going to stop. No, no, no. The time for repentance had ended. And let me tell you something. There will be a time where repentance will not be an option for you any longer. When you close your eyes in death and have not said, Lord, I am my own worst enemy. I live not according to your way, but I want to do my own thing. I repent of that. Would you live in me? Would you be the Lord of my life? Would you receive me a sinner into your kingdom? That will conclude at some point. And so we have to make a, a choice. Whether re repentance will be something that we adopt in our life and live by, or whether we will suffer the fate, the eternal fate, of same thing that Judah and Samaria suffered. So as we get into chapter 3, we're going to shift. And so we did a little bit of talking about the leadership and how it was affecting God's people. But as we go to Micah 3, the leadership is going to be on full display. It's going to be on full display. Now, um, you know, we are in Black History Month. Everybody, shout out Black History Month. It's February, right? In my mind, I'm like, oh, is it March? Oh, God, is it? Oh, is it still? Oh, God, it's still January. Look, I'm tripping, man. So, listen, I have so much going on in my brain. I know when Black History Month is. I just don't know what day it is today. It's like, is it the 19th? Is it the 12th? So, anyway. Um, and as we shout out Black History Month, as I was preparing for this message, which is clearly all about a failure in leadership. There's really nothing else that's really going to come through today in these 12 verses but a failure in leadership. And even as you look at Black History Month, it's like you can't, even get past as you celebrate and honor those who have gone before us, 
You can't really soberly celebrate without going back and look at the tragedy of why we even have to celebrate and then not realize part of the reason why it's been such a hard road is in failure in leadership, both in the church, outside the church. People who had the responsibility of stewarding justice and equality failed miserably. And what we see here is exactly that. What happens when the people who are responsible for being the stewards of equity and justice, these communicable attributes that Yahweh wants to display to his people, that Yahweh wants his people to live under, that Yahweh wants his people to so exhibit that the other nations would be jealous of what those people have. What happens when those things deplete a society? And this is all we'll look at. Um, this is my big idea. This is what we call it in preaching school. We call this kind of like the big idea, fallen condition, focus, whatever. But I'll just put it up for you. This is the thing that helps me guide like, man, what am I actually trying to say to you? Um, but I, I decided I'd share it with you today. And I think it's just because God's standard is always endangered. Everybody say endangered. God's standard is always endangered, leaving his people and others vulnerable. So we need leaders committed to righteousness and justice in the well-being of others. That's what this is about today. Because God's standard is always in danger, you do realize that this book, the laws of God, if it's followed, if it's followed appropriately, it does lead to life and blessing. Do you know that when we get to the eschaton, when we live forever with him, it will be his way, and we will thrive under his way and his law, right? There's nothing wrong with the law. Turn your side, ain't nothing wrong with the standards. Turn your other neighbor, there ain't nothing wrong with the standards. It's the people who are responsible for keeping it that end up tearing things up. So because God's standards are always in danger, leaving his people and others vulnerable, we need leaders. Everybody say, we need leaders. We need leaders, y'all. We need leaders who are committed to righteousness and justice and the well-being of others. So I want to show you a model. Sarah, we might have to change this because I recognize what you were saying. We, I'm going to show you three things. I'm going to show you a, a picture and a model of ungodly leadership. I'm going to show you a picture of godly leadership. Ah, typo. <laughs> and I'm going to show you the result of ungodly leadership. All right? So let's look first at ungodly, uh, ungodly leadership. Just quickly, in the first throes of chapter 3, he says, Then I said, Micah, this is Micah speaking, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Now, let's just pause right there. When we start talking about the rulers of Israel, who are we talking about? Well, ultimately, the kings are responsible uh, for setting the moral tone um, and the moral cadence for the nation of Israel. You can go to 2 Chronicles, and you just read through all Chronicles and, and all those, um, the, the last bits of the periods of history and those, the record of the kings of Israel and the record of the kings of, of, of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and you will see a picture of how those nations either thrive or how they are taken under by the king and what his heart was doing. 
It's kind of, uh, uh, it's kind of uh, adjacent to uh, federal leadership, which is kind of a biblical kind of category and notion. Essentially this, that there is one person who kind of represents the nation as a whole. We see this in the first Adam, who represents a people who were under the dominion of him and the consequences of his sin. But when the second Adam came, right, we kind of vicariously live through his righteousness, his characteristics are passed on to those who believe in him. It's kind of a similar concept that whoever was in authority, where they were morally was really indicative of where the nation was morally, right? There really wasn't usually a time where the person in power was a godly man leading a, a nation that thrived on godlessness. It was usually when that king got his heart and fixated on the wrong thing that the nation started doing the same thing in kind. What you see in one of these pictures, Jehoshaphat, this is 2 Chronicles 19 for reading somewhere else, you see exactly what I'm talking about. As he repents, he's responsible and he leads national reform. He tears down altars and idols that belong to foreign gods. He institutes, hey man, we gotta get ourselves back on under the law and under the protection of Yahweh. So the king was ultimately responsible for justice, but you also had the rest of the leadership of Israel. When we talk about the leadership, we're talking about the prophet, priest, and king. These are the big offices of Old Testament Israel. Anytime we talk about leadership, you want to be talking about one of these three places, right? And so the cry is in verse 2, uh, or verse 1, should you not embrace justice? Should you not embrace justice? Let's talk about justice real quick. I forgot to put this up, but I'm going to read it slow, but I think it'll help you. When we talk about justice, what we're saying is we're talking about a standard first that is set by Yahweh. We're talking about administration done by the leaders. And we're talking about consequences. Either the blessing and deliverance for those who adhere or the punishment and curse for those who transgress. When we talk about biblical justice, especially in the Old Testament, we're talking about this concept of justice, the standard of justice, the administration of that justice, and the consequences for either adhering or choosing to turn against that justice. That's what we're always talking about, especially in the Old Testament. And what happens was there is a standard set by Yahweh. He gives the law. They know how to act. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the whole first five books, we, he, the, nobody doesn't know what to do. If you work for Tim Johnson, I bet you could imagine man, we just don't know what we're supposed to be doing. Well, that ain't this case. That's not what's happening here. They know what they're supposed to be doing, right? But something has happened in the administration of justice. And so, the beginning of the accusation, you leaders of Israel, you leaders of Jacob, you hate good and love evil. Now listen, man. That is not even a yo mama joke. That just got straight to the point. You ugly. Dang, it's, you wasn't, <laughs> wasn't even a joke, it was just bang. Bruh, you really, don't you, hate, don't you hate your friends who just have no tact? And they're just like, you put that on today? I was trying to be fly a little. Gina, Gina hit me sometimes, I'm like. <laughs> but I was trying to be so fly. No punches, no sugar coating, 
you the ones who are responsible for administrating the justice of God. You actually hate good and love evil. Everybody say, uh-oh. We got a problem, babe. When we talk about what it really requires to be one who administrates justice on the behalf of Yahweh, we're not just talking about someone who merely intellectually appreciates the law. You know, you got some people who I believe, Jeremy been to law school, Thomas been to law school. I was, I dropped, I did a couple semesters in law school, I dropped out. <laughs> Jeremy, you remember that class we took? No. <laughs> But I imagine there are some people, you know, I find this with seminary. I find there's some dudes who's like, oh, okay, why are you, why are you here? Well, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Hmm. I like talking theology. I like systems. I like doctrine. I imagine there's some people who are in the legal pipeline. Why are you here? Man, I love studying law. Man, I love the concepts. I, look, I love looking at precedent and precinct. I love being in the courtroom system, but I don't actually love the law and understand what it represents. I just like the theory. When you are to be an administrator of justice, you can't just love, you can't just think the concepts are brilliant. Can I get an amen, somebody? But to love good and to love justice also means you also need to have a personal knowledge of Yahweh's law. You need to have a personal commitment to Yahweh's law. And as a matter of fact, you need to actually delight in it. Oh, I love this law and I think it's best. Oh, I wish that all the world could live under and flourish under Yahweh's soft rule. These men did not... They did not delight, they did not personally know, they did not personally practice, they did not delight in it, and they lastly did not understand what the standards were designed to do. That actually as one who is responsible for administering justice, you need to know that that justice is meant so that all of Yahweh's covenant children can live in safety and equity. It is to protect them it's so all of them can flourish. So it's not even out of sympathy by those who have been affected by transgressors of the law. They couldn't even get there. These people loved evil. Bruce Walkie says that delighting in God's law and discerning what is right should be the joy of those given judicial responsibility. But somehow Yahweh's leaders have flipped the script. Isaiah 5 and 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Something's gone terribly wrong. And y'all do realize that nothing short of new appetites that come from being hearts regenerated can really transform the morally corrupt heart. I was listening in Toronto they just got a brand new governor, mayor, something. And this guy just had an affair. And he replaced the dude who was formerly publicly disgraced from office for having addiction and other scandal. It's like, man, what is going on? But you do realize when you hear those things, yes, good people make mistakes. 
but we know better as Christians what is the only ultimate solution for the morally corrupt heart? Only the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart. Let me make this clear. This is a picture of ungodly leadership. And I think this is a good picture for leadership and what it shouldn't look like both in the church and outside of the church. Why would you, why would you go for this? Listen, I don't get real political, but I do, I do have to say this. I'm like, when the church starts endorsing people who you wouldn't want to ordain as an elder at your church, how could you heartily support something like that? This man ain't a man. You know the most important thing in my life is being like Christ. And this man, I wouldn't allow to lead me to the restroom. <laughs> so how could you ever wholeheartedly, unswervingly, ooh, this is the guy I want leading my nation. Now, I'm just confused. I imagine that most of the guys we would be vote or ladies we would be voting for, unless we know their lives, we would probably prayerfully heads down like, Lord, I don't know anything about this man. I don't know anything about this woman. Would you just keep your hand on them? Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Let's talk about ungodliness. Ungodly leaders despise God's law. They are addicted to power and are constantly seduced to pursue personal gratification at the expense of others. We want these people as far away from power as possible. Despise God's law. Just pause. Listen, y'all, why would you want somebody leading you in his kingdom who you don't get a sense? Ooh, they love the word of God. Man, they always talking about the word of God. See, I know that. I know you, I know you over that. You, you grew up in West Missoula, Arkansas, wherever you grew up, and you just got beat over the head with the Bible. And so, therefore, everybody who tells you a Bible verse, you hate them. But I'm just telling you, I don't want nobody helping me be godly who don't love the Word. Why? No, no, no. No, no. And you need to be sensitive to leaders who demonstrate that they don't actually delight in God's law? Oh, you don't find no joy in that? Oh. They're addicted to power. Addicted to power. Always just trying to think about the next opportunistic moment where I could just be in authority. We don't want you leading here. Go get another degree. Climb that corporate ladder. But ain't nothing up in here you can climb unless you want to be led to the feet of Jesus and lead like a servant. That's the only upward mobility here. The way up is down. Are you keen for people who just are pursuing personal gratification? 
And if we gave you more power, all that would just give you more opportunity to do the things that would serve you. Or do you, can you tell when people sacrificially use the little they have to always advantage others? We want those people. Because if we give them more power, we know that they continue to use it so they can elevate other people. Don't you want to empower those people? Well, these ravenous wolves have been tearing up God's people. And when you saw the poetry, remember in chapters 1 and 2, where God says, I'm coming down, and the mountains start melting? Well, look at this poetic language here. These leaders, verses into verse 2, who tear skin from my people, flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Listen, I apologize if you have babies in here. Tell them about it later. In some sense, I can't, I, I, I'm not a biblical enough scholar to know exactly this, but in, in, in reality, their deception and injustice has so disadvantaged some people that it will eventually lead to, their poverty will lead to their death. It's going to literally lead to a short life expectancy. And I'm not exactly sure that that's what's here. Or is it strictly just the allegory that God is upset and he's saying, bro, this is exactly like, your cannibalism is exactly like what your ungodly leadership is doing to my people. And if you don't think God going to deal with that, you crazy. Because he going to pull up. I roll. Verse 4, it says, then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. That's actually not God's people but the people who have been harming and fleecing God's flock, they're going to cry out to the Lord. He won't answer them, and at the time, he'll hide his face from them because of the evil that they have done. So their sentence, God's going to go silent. We'll see that come out even more a little later. It reminds me of Proverbs 1:26, where it says, In turn, I will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Yet the God who helps, the God who defends the defenseless, yet when these people, they have stored up so many unjust acts that God says, oh, in your disaster, I'll be back like Saturday Night Live. Chuckle, chuckle. So we see what ungodly leadership looks like, but we see it focused in even on the prophetic office. Remember, there's the prophet, priest, and the kings. These people who we just talked about somehow were perverting the scales of justice. But then the prophetic office is now a cesspool too. He says, verse 5, this is what the Lord says, as for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. If you think that um, prosperity gospel is new, you're crazy. This is centuries, millennia old, y'all. What's happening here is that essentially the people who are responsible for saying, thus saith the Lord, and just guiding people where they need to go based on Yahweh's standard, now they're basically preaching for profit. And anybody who's lining their pockets, they alter the words. They alter the words. I don't have time to go through it, but you'll see this in Numbers, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, false prophets. One of the reasons, one of the ways that the false prophets get compromised from using their divine gift is they start using that thing and start tailoring the messages to those people who had the fattest pockets. You do realize if you want, this is rule handbook number one. If you want to create an unjust society, the first thing you got to start doing is tampering with the standard. 
If you want to create a crazy, unjust society, the first thing you got to do is you got to start dismantling the standard. I was watching a documentary on a current nation in a crisis, and they were behind the scenes. And, you know, it's supposed to be a democratic nation. Um, you sp they were supposed to have freedom of speech. And so they end up detaining these young revolutionaries, if you will, these young protesters. And uh, they had thought they were doing everything according to the law only to find out when they got detained that the law had changed. They were like, when did it change? Yesterday. You want to create chaos? Start tampering with the standards. Start tampering with the law. And this is what God's prophets had started to do. And they were being manipulated by their greed. They're be being manipulated by their own desire for self-gratification. Deuteronomy 16, 19, you shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. Everybody say, not be partial. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of righteous. If you ever want to be a person of integrity, you know how hard it is to maintain your standards. Because the people around you have their own interests. Hey, PT, I know what they say, but you know. And the only way to, to keep that unadulterated fixation on God and his standard is to not be perverted, not to be lured away by ways that you can be gratified for yourself. And this is what these people have done. Verse 6, therefore night will overcome you. Without visions and darkness, without divination, the sun will set for the prophets, and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and diviners disgraced. They will cover their faces because there is no answer from God. In a piece of beautiful poetic justice, what the Lord does is he responds by taking away their gift. They had a supernatural gift to say what thus saith the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He cuts out the lights on them. It goes dark, no visions, darkness. And just like lepers in the New Testament, you've probably seen those pictures. When you become infected and, and have leprosy, you have to kind of proclaim and you live in a certain community and you are publicly disgraced and kind of ostracized from the rest of the group. And what happens is, is that essentially, um, when you get to verse 7, the seers will be ashamed, the diviners disgrace. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. Not only will they not be able to see, but this is the, a picture of them being public, publicly disgraced. And the way that they used to uh, illegally earn their gain, they won't even be able to do it no more because they will have to be identified as the people we don't fool with anymore. That was the model of ungodly leadership. And let's look quickly at the model of godly leadership. But this is Micah. He says, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Walkie just says this. He says, look at the contrast between the true prophets and the false prophets. The true prophet, the ministry is based on the spirit, not on sensuality. The true prophet, the ministry is based on proclaiming sin and, just, and judgment, not just peace. Pause. You want to know you're probably in a healthy church even if you don't go to this church? 
If you walk into church 52 Sundays and all they focus on is the love of God, the peace of God, the happiness of God, the comfort of God, they failing you. They failing you, bro. I know you don't like to hear it. I don't know. I know you don't like to hear that God has a standard. I know you don't like to hear that he's holy and you ain't except by the work of his cross. I know you don't like to hear that you need to repent, that you didn't just make a mistake, that it's actually sin. I know that you don't like to hear that all the issues in your life aren't just because of the people who raised you that you actually have to take personal accountability. I know you don't like that. But because I love you and because he does too, and because he does not want you to experience his wrath, he gives you a healthy dose of truth and grace. And we hold those two things in tandem and tension together. So you don't, you don't mistakenly, that's why First Corinthians said, take heed lest you fall. Lest you get sloppy on your game and all of a sudden, oh, where am I at? All of a sudden, my greed has led me to pervert justice. All, my, all of a sudden, my greed has blinded me. You want churches, you want leaders who proclaim both. You want leaders. You see the courage in Micah? He says, but as with me, I'm filled with power. You know, you can't be mousy proclaiming the truth. And you know what? You can go through the prophetic heritage of the heavy price that these men had to pay for proclaiming truth in the middle of godless societies. All the hardship, all the loneliness that happened because they stood with thus saith the Lord. You do know that that is a lonely place, don't you? I told y'all before we used to sing that, that song, I'm going to go if I have to go by myself. Got to go by myself. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was going by. Maybe, maybe, let me, get, let me tap into my SBC roots, Josh. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me. I'm, I'm in there, right? Yeah. Let me, let, me, let me take it a step down. You do realize that there have to be times in your walk with Jesus where that has got to be the song of your heart. You do realize that there, that statement for you is unavoidable. That your life has made such an emphatic statement by you to declare that I'm Yahweh's, that at some point the very fabric of that will challenge and be challenged, and you have to make up your mind that I don't care, I'm going, I'm staying, I'm committed to the one who saved my soul. Raise a hand if you felt that before. If you've seen some people walk out of your life because you stood on truth. You got kicked out of some clubs because you stood on truth. You're not alone. God is still searching for humble, obedient, courageous leaders who are committed to God and the care of his people. 
I'll just read it one more time. God is still searching for humble, obedient, courageous leaders who are committed to God and the care of his people. Let's look last at the result of ungodly leadership. And all it is is just a comprehensive judgment. It's just a summation of the judgment that will come against the leadership of Israel, the kings, the prophets, and the priests. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests, preachers teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. All these leaders, they prostituted their offices. Basically sold them for price. The, the picture here is of greed. It, it is a fixation on money. And we gave you that scripture from Hebrews last week, right? To keep your lives free from the love of money, right? But we clearly see how power and the seduction of assets has compromised not only just individual lives, but a whole nation, y'all. All we want is more, 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 more. And we see the degradation of a whole society. And they've sadly, Israelite brethren have secured their more at the expense of their other brothers and sisters. You do realize your greed is never a solitary sin. It will always come at the expense and well-being of someone else. You do realize that, right? Walkie says that the Ten Commandments guaranteed all men four rights. The right to life, you shall not murder. The right to a home, you shall not commit adultery. The right to property, you shall not steal. And the right to reputation, you shall not give false testimony against your brother. Israel's leaders, although required to bestow these rights, they in fact violated all of them. In order to create the society, they transgressed all those things. Took away their brother's lives, their property, swore false witness, They've done it all. Verse 11 says, yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Once again, they twist up the doctrine. God will never leave you nor forsake you, right? So I pick and choose which parts of the scripture I want to use to kind of validate my lifestyle. And I have, in order to, to give myself assurance, I've got to exclude the parts of the Bible that I don't practice. You know what I'm saying? So I say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm right. You know what I'm saying? So, so they, they twisted all of the, the, the theology up. And the one thing they've done is that they have foolishly presumed upon the Lord's patience and his presence with them. This is, in the Old Testament, the one thing they understood clearly was this kind of law of reciprocity, this retru retributive principle. Basically, you kind of get what you deserve, you know, and it's the one they kind of improperly uh, put on Job. It's like, oh, why Job suffering? Clearly, he must be doing some things wrong. 
But even though they misapplied it in that section, that's generally how they understood to live. It's like, hey, when, we, when we're doing what we're supposed to do, we can expect blessing from Yahweh, both in our homes and outside of it. When we are outside of Yahweh's law, we can expect that things are going to go kind of wrong, right? See uh, the battle of AI. They had the standards. But I learned this. You could write it down somewhere. Alistair Begg, one of my little preaching heroes, he just says this. Disobedience and assurance cannot sleep in the same bed. Disobedience and assurance cannot sleep in the same bed. You know, it's all of us. I don't care if you've been saved many years. You know, there's those moments where it's like, man, ooh, am I in there? Woo-hoo. <laughs> But one of the sweet things that our Lord does is he gives us, right, is that 1 Peter, 2 Peter, if these things are yours and increasing. So as we grow in godliness, it is an assurance, oh, something's alive in me. And when you see yourself becoming more Christ-like, it is an assurance that his life is in you and your inheritance is waiting on you. But you got to live in some scary places when you think, Disobedience and assurance can live in it. That just, no. Whether you in or not, who knows? Who knows? Right? And you have reason to be like, oh, man, you know, I'm continuing to walk further and further away from God. These men were walking further and further away from God and then saying, yeah, yeah, but because Jerusalem is his city, we're his people, he's always going to be present with us. Oh, that was a foolish assumption. Because here's the result. Therefore, because of you, can you just pause, underline, leaders, leaders, let me just tell you, I just got to call it what it is, Skip. I got to call it what it is. Carter Spence, you need to write it down. Here's your charge, brother. Why will Zion be plowed like a field? Why will Jerusalem become a heap of rubble? Why will the Temple Hill be a mound overgrown by thickets? Because of you. If there were ever a sobering charge for godly leadership, do we not have it here? This great responsibility to be a steward of God's justice and righteousness, to love his law, to delight in it, to be personally committed to it, to make sure that it's not perverted so that all of God's people can flourish. It's a weight, isn't it? But let me also say this. I I admonished us earlier, and I want to make sure I do it again. Don't you be the person because you know the weight of leadership to sit on your couch and you know what, you judge all the leadership, but you don't want to put your life on the line. You don't want to be the person to hold that mantle up for God's people. Mm-mm, I don't want to hear from you. What's the result? I think we need to desire to be leaders. Leaders. 
We need to pray for our leaders. You do realize that any one of us at any time can be seduced away by our flesh, by the seduction of power and money and greed and all of those things. Do you not think that at some point I don't think like, man, yo, our church, we grew, we are 200, we, we almost like in the top 10 biggest churches in our presbytery in five years. You don't think that that weighs on me at times? You don't think I like hearing that? I love hearing that. Do you pray for me? Do you pray for the leadership at this church? You should. Because remember, the bad people don't come out of Satan's lair with horns. The bad people are in this room living without accountability, waiting to be picked off by the evil one. Come on, pray for us, yo. Pray for your leaders. I would also say, you need to desire to be a godly leader. There is some space where God is counting on you to uphold his standards of righteousness and to love his law and to be committed to it and to protect the vulnerable people around you. I don't know where that is. Is it at work? Is it in your neighborhood? Is it in the people you supervise? Are you representing his justice and his righteousness where you have the opportunity? And are you preparing yourself to be that person when your time is called? At some point, you will be in a position of leadership. And as I'm telling you right now, you are leading some of God's people somewhere. And how are you doing it? And will the demise of whatever little sphere of influence that you have be traced back to your failure to appreciate and delight and love God's law? So what's the good news in all that junk, PT? I don't know. Do better. <laughs> I just want to remind you that there was someone, the greatest leader there ever was, perfectly followed the laws. He was so committed to the righteousness of God that instead of taking advantage of the people at great gain to himself, he protected the people at great loss to himself, at great expense to him. If you don't know Jesus, I just want to tell you today you've never met someone more committed to justice and seeing things done right, but you've never met someone so committed to mercy either, that even though many of us have failed, all of us have failed in so many ways at upholding God's righteousness, and he knew that the penalty for our sin was death that he paid that in our place.